Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have another amazing guest. We have with us today Dr. Farzana Hussein, who is the GP principal at the Project Surgery. She's the clinical director for a primary care network. And impressingly, she is the co-chair of the National PCM Network at the NHS Confederation and recently was awarded the GP of the year. Thank you. And it's a massive pleasure to introduce you, um, Dr. Hussein. How are you? Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Hi. No, it's, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out. I know you're a super busy clinician as well as a, <laughs> as a mother with a, with a family. Um, I thought I'd just mention this in terms of how we ended up here today with kind of see, uh, having you as a guest. It's during the peak of COVID, I finished a night shift and was coming home. And I remember as soon as I jumped off the bus, I just saw your face at the bus stop when they were showcasing the NHS heroes. And I read your name and I was like, wow, this is a female ethnic minority. And I was astounded. And I think that's when I kind of saw you kind of chased you, figured out where you are and hunched you down on Twitter. So do forgive me. <laughs> and I was like, we definitely need to bring Dr. Hussein on and kind of share her journey. Um, so, yeah, that is how we we kind of ended up here today well thank you well i'm delighted you did get in touch and people who know me will know i am also a bit of a twitter yeah. addict and always happy to connect and make friends yeah. on, on on twitter and uh, no it was a, a really amazing experience actually to be um photographed and uh, and I'm, what was interesting about that is um i got a call on a tuesday saying are you free on yeah. friday and i was like, well i've got clinic but yeah what is it and and i was busy and they just said oh you know we, we need a photo and I thought I didn't even know much about it I thought okay it's probably for some campaign mm. you know is it a cancer campaign or something I, I actually didn't realize yeah. what it was and then I got there and it, and it was ranking um, you know the photographer who had uh, photographed oh, wow. the Queen Golden Jubilee and had done Kate Moss and I was like gosh all these supermodels <laughs> and now me and it, it was just amazing experience to be I'd never been photographed I was like yeah. most people like that and he was amazing he just spoke to me as you know, such a natural we just talked and he took photos and it felt really natural and to be to be representing general practice um and obviously there was 12 mm. of us but for me to be representing general practice and to be celebrating the nhs's 72nd birthday and to see myself on bus stops yeah. it really has been amazing funny and, and amazing but what what a privilege uh you know for me a mum with yeah. two teens you know um from a Bangladeshi background just absolutely no, amazing and when I saw it I was I could not be even more proud and I was like yep yeah, definitely whatever it takes I'm gonna get her on the show and I'm, I'm really glad we're doing this today um so thank you now we know where you are and I'm sure a lot of things have happened between take us all the way back Dr Hussein to when it all started when you decided you wanted to be a doctor that process of getting into med school and kind of share your journey with us if yeah. you don't mind Sure, sure, sure. And by all means, please oh. call me Fazana. <laughs> and um, so this this is what happened, really. Um, so I grew up in Preston in Lancashire. Uh, my, my dad's a retired anaesthetist, and uh, he came over to England in, in, in 1970. Um, and that was actually before Bangladesh was oh, a country. Yeah. It was still East Pakistan. And he came over uh, on a scholarship um, to do some training as a junior doctor, as an anaesthetist. And then sadly within 
within a, uh, a couple of months, war broke out. And of course, there was no more East Pakistan. His scholarship ran out. And so he had um, a, a one-year-old at the time, my, my older brother, and a wife to support. And so he uh, got got a job um, rather than carry, carrying on with his scholarship because the funding mm. had run out. And, um, you know, obviously was working for the NHS. Then... Um, three years later I was born and um, so I'd, I'd grown up around uh, uh, medicine and, and I remember some of my earliest memories of uh, you know back in the day we didn't have a mobile phone in those days and two o'clock in the morning the phone would ring and you know dad was on call and and he would mm. go out and I would just remember the phones rung and you know being snug in my bed around 15 16 um, i i really enjoyed um french i really enjoyed english literature i didn't want to do science a levels and around 15 16 i really wasn't sure whether i wanted to be a doctor and um i always remember my dad saying to me um well you know if you like languages and things you can always do that but you know why don't you think about medicine because i can only talk about myself Mm. as honor but you know there's nothing i like more than you know, look at making making people better. It, it's quite a skill, yeah. and I find it rewarding. And <clears throat> it doesn't pay badly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said yeah. to me. You know, it doesn't pay badly. So, um, so I, I did. So I, I did do the side say level exams, and well, I did maths, chemistry, biology, and um, I, I, I my A levels. You know, the A level results have just come out this year, and I know this year has been yeah, so yeah, difficult been for our for our young people. And um, I, I had a bit of a sad day, and I got an an A, a B, and I got an E in maths, oh, wow. and I thought, oh crumbs! I always knew I was bad <laughs> at maths, but I didn't know I was <laughs> <Yeah>. that bad. <laughs> Um, and then I thought, you know, what shall I do? And all my friends were going to university and I thought, oh, I feel so stupid. And then again, it was my mum and dad. They said, mm. listen, you could get into another course, but it's up to you. Do you want to go into another course or do you want to give it another shot and reset? And I thought, you know what? Shall I just mm. reset? And I did. And then I, I got a B and then I went to um and I chose Cardiff, the University of Wales College of Medicine, because the grades were a bit lower. Mm. I mean, it wasn't something I had originally wanted to choose living in Lancashire Mm. in Preston I thought I'd go to Manchester or Liverpool and I share that story because you know if you had said I'm 47 now to me as an 18 year old um you know would you ever see yourself being GP of the year being the face of the NHS's 72nd birthday being having a national role I'd say no not this person who failed her a-level maths so I I can you know just want to share that you never never underestimate what you can do if you are listening to this as an 18 year old you know my own son is 17 and if you're listening to this you know I, I, I'm, I'm not particularly bright. I'm not particularly scientific. Mm. You know, if you want to do it, follow your passion. You know, I'm nothing special. And look at where I am yeah. in, in, you know, where I am. And this is a girl who failed her A-level maths, <laughs> you know? No, I think, do you know what? I'm, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that and shared that because a lot of people are probably going to have to retake the uh, reset exams. And I imagine a lot of people will probably be disheartened not getting into med school or feeling, you know, their life is over. Um, so I'm really glad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and and it, and it just isn't. And it's a hard year. It's a painful year, particularly when you see your friends going. Yeah. But but um, it seems a really long time. But you know, as you get older, you think actually a year is absolutely nothing. I'm sure you'll yeah. find, won't you? I'm saying your F two year has just right, flown yeah, by. So yeah. never give up on your dreams, and you don't even know how far you 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 can go. I mean, say I I I never thought I would have a national role no, which, which is amazing it's amazing to hear. Been amazing and like 
I have my fist in the air championing whatever you're saying. <laughs> so you <laughs> so you went to Wales. How was that? How was med school away from family? I imagine you were So so yeah. so I, I yeah, I loved I loved Wales. So I had grown up in Preston, which is quite a, a okay. small town. I mean Manchester was our big city. So I had um, you know, never really um you know, I'd I'd gone on a bus probably, you know, for two miles. And so so go going to Cardiff was, was fantastic because I I never lived in a in a big city yeah. before. And Cardiff was particularly friendly, like it's a five mile radius for everything mm-hmm. and it, it's you know people from all over the place and it's not all 50 percent welsh and then you know lots of people from um obviously england and we had some international um medical graduates from malaysia they had a, a medical undergraduates from malaysia they had a, a degree so knowing them and we used to get things um you know university is a great exciting yeah. time isn't it when you have to remember to do your <laughs> own washing and get your mum to do it and then you have to remember to study and actually you do want to go out and see your yeah. friends as well and it was a really nice time because Cardiff got all the being a capital city you've got all the mm. shows and things and so we were able to see things I, I just had a really really great time a, a difficult time the end of my um, um well just the first term of my first year sadly my mum passed oh. away and um I think that was quite significant for me I, I was 19 mm. and she had been ill with diabetes but i guess you know as a young person i hadn't expected her to die although now looking back as a doctor she'd been suffering from heart Mm. failure for the four years before so obviously i didn't have that medical knowledge and um i remember her um being uh you know admitted and it was a it was a Sunday and I, and I came back from Cardiff, which is like 200 mile train journey to, to see her in hospital at yeah. the weekend. And I had to go back to Cardiff and she, she didn't look very well. And I, and I, I said to her, mummy, I could just call her Ammi, you know, yeah. I said, Ammi, do, do, you, do you think I should go back? And she looked so frail and she said to me, you know, without hesitating, of course you should go back you know I want you to be yeah. a doctor I'm so proud of you because she was a housewife and but she always yeah. wanted me to be a doctor and so I did leave on that Sunday and she died five wow. days later yeah. she she died on the Friday um and so that was the sort of the last time I saw her and I have always remembered her saying that to me so when I got the GP of the year and the, yeah. the photo. Um, it's been personally such a, 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 a touching yeah. time for me because I, I think, you know, she would have been really proud of me. And seeing the care that she had, you know, as her daughter, seeing it through the patient's eyes and how I remember to this day that, you know, the med reg was called Simon. He was on take all night. He looked shattered. Mm. He still gave me and my mum and my dad and my brother enough time to say, are you guys all right? It's a really hard time. And, you know, looking back now, he must have only been 20 something himself and, you know, had been up all night, but still gave me that kindness. And I kind of tried to remember that with my patients that, you know, they might be patient number 28 yeah. on my list, but actually, you know what, that's somebody's mum and it's a human being. So I hope, I hope that I practice like oh, that. I hope so. Definitely. Um, and it's amazing. And I'm, I'm sure she would have been proud. Um, and it's always nice to kind of hear, especially in, in an Asian household, especially um, during that time where the parents are very supportive of their young daughters, like you mentioned, where it's not just about being a housewife anymore. Yeah. It's about, excelling being a doctor and doing well for yourself and kind of leaving a legacy behind so 
that's really reassuring and I'm really glad you shared that and we're happy to hear that. How was med school after yeah, that? What was, what was med school like? So med school, so med school was, um, so I found the academics in med school quite tough, to be truthful. You know, I, I wasn't a distinction merit person. I scrubbed it through it, you know, 50, 50% pass rate. I used to get 51%, you know, so I certainly wasn't doing, uh, you know, great guns in the academics. And we, um, I mean, I went to medical school in 1992. So it was a very sort of old fashioned curriculum. And I'm really pleased to see now that I teach medical mm-hmm. students um, um, at our local medical school, which is in East London, um, Bart's, Queen Mary's and Bart's, and they have a lot more mm. patient contact from the beginning. As soon as I got into the third year, when I had patient contact, that was the time Ams, that I thought, you know what, this is really mm. what I want to do, because anatomy and physiology <laughs> yeah. didn't really ring you my bell. <laughs> but, but it was important to, to, you know, yeah. to know it. Um, but as I, I remember to this day, I went into my first um, um, surgical firm and um, the, the, the consultant said, right, you go and take the history from this person and then come and present it to me, you know, Clark here. And I had never been in the room with a mm. patient before and I was in the room and it, it, that really was a bit of a magical moment. I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can do this. And I absolutely loved it. I, I loved it being in the room, listening to the patient, taking the history and I thought to myself I want to do more of this and you know I was 21 at the time and uh, I probably realized then I really wanted to be a GP because it was the Mm. talking and the listening and the listening to all the story that that I really enjoyed and so the clinical years were better but as I say I I didn't find the academia particularly Mm. easy and um you know, I worked hard. I, I did my studying. I, I would say that a lot of medicine is still yeah. me- memory. Um, and I really enjoyed the, the the patient contact. And those were the only two things. I don't have a really high IQ or anything, but I enjoyed what mm. I did with the patients. And that's why I did the study, <laughs> because I knew that without having that knowledge, I wouldn't be able to, to look after them as a doctor. I could have done something else, but I couldn't look after them as a doctor. And and, and, and there were great friends, great friends, some of whom I'm still in touch with. And then uh, my final year, so my first year, my uh, yeah. my mum passed away. And then my final year, um, I I got oh, married. Oh, so oh. it was a bit of an, it was a bit <laughs> of an eventful uh, five years, yeah. really. And um, I was introduced to him. Um, it was an arranged marriage and he lived in London. And that's why I moved to London to do my uh, what we used to call house mm. officer jobs, they're, they're now called FYs. And, and that was a bit tricky, Ams, because um, I still think like now, what we used to have was sort of um, matched jobs. So I was guaranteed jobs in uh, mm. South Wales, where yeah. I trained, but not in London. And, um, you know, there are a lot of medical schools in London, aren't there? So their um, house jobs or FYs were already matched up. So I rang about, I'm not joking, 80, 80 oh, wow. hospitals yeah. in wow. London to... Um, um, see if we could get a I could get a job and um I found one in Bromley in mm-hmm. Kent for the medicine and then I found one in surgery in Newham oh. Oh, wow. and um isn't <laughs> it amazing and I came to Newham and I came for the interview arms and this is a girl who'd been brought up in Preston and didn't really know how to ride the tube or anything. I was I was waiting for yeah. this tube thinking, is it going to stop? <laughs> is it going to stop? You know, so I and I was like, London's so big. And it really was that, you know, right eyes, like bushy tail. Where am I? It's a different country. So 
I came to this interview and I remember the first thing I thought of is, isn't East London yeah. a dump? Mm. There's graffiti all over the train. <laughs> My beautiful Cardiff yeah. is so green. Yeah. It's so lovely. And I can't say I was in love <laughs> with it. But then I did the six months job uh, because, you know, it was one of the jobs that wasn't mad. Had a great mm-hmm. consultant. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, I want to apply for GP training shall I do it? Shall I do it? And I thought, well, I know Newham, let's see. So I applied for the GP training. It was, a, we could apply locally yeah. at that point, um, back in the, in the late nineties. And, um, so I applied to Newham and I, I got the job and still, um, I was still like, do I really want to work in this place? Uh, it's very, very financially deprived, huge bit away, 73% BAME. I was a bit of a princess about it. I was like, well, actually, you know, do I want to work here or do I want to work a bit more leafy? And I applied to a neighbouring VTS uh, scheme that is a lot more mm-hmm. leafy or down the road in, in Waltham Forest. And, and I was about to go. And then something stopped me. I don't know what stopped me. I thought, let me just do one more of Mm. my jobs because I did um, care of the elderly. I did psychiatry. I did pediatrics and I did obs and gynae. I thought, let me just do one more. Let me just do one more. And what was happening, Ams, is although I thought I don't want to live in this, what was actually happening, looking back now, is that I was getting a lot of meaning from the work I was doing. I was actually falling in love with the area, even though it wasn't where I wanted. I didn't think where I wanted to be. But actually, every single patient was so grateful. Uh, I was seeing mothers when I was doing OBS and gynae with full preeclampsia and eclampsia, really, really yeah. sick mm. mothers. I was seeing, um, you know, people who were uh, completely homeless that had just come off the, the the plane from Ghana and were about to deliver their baby. And these were human lives. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is really impactful. What mm, a yeah. difference what a difference we are making and um the rest is history so then i've decided to stay in newham and now i'm part of the furniture i've been here since 1997 oh, wow. <laughs> so so yeah um so a, a long time yeah 20 something years yeah. and um after i finished my gp training i stayed on at my training practice mm-hmm. for a year and then um one of the doctors there, uh, it was a multi-partner practice who had also been my trainer, he and I decided um, to, to move and um, we set up a brand new practice uh, that had no patients. We got a, a, a grant from um, uh, the, the the council basically they were look they had uh, some urban regeneration mm. funding because they knew that where i am in plasto is a very deprived area and they asked the residents what do you want us to do with this money do you want mm. a school do you want this and they overridingly said we want a gp surgery we don't feel mm. there's enough gp surgeries and the project surgery was born in february 2003 myself and my i was a brand new gp i'd been doing it like mm. a year and a half and my partner set it up um and by which time i had had uh my little one so i had mm-hmm. usman um just after i finished gp training in my first year as a partner and um sadly ams i had a, a lot of hyperemesis i had never been ill before you know as a young fit woman thank goodness i don't have any long-term conditions but i was really sick with the hyperemesis it's the only time i've had to take a good wow. three four okay. months off work and i got admitted and i don't think it was a fault but the training practice I was in um you know was all all male partners and I don't think they fully understood that it was a Mm. sickness and it was a bit of a difficult relationship Mm. I got 
um, you know, told off for not going into work. Um, and I shared this because looking back now, I don't think it was anybody's mm. fault, but I made the right decision leaving mm. that practice. So if anybody here is listening and they feel that they're in a really difficult job, you know, it's okay to walk away from things. It doesn't mean that it's anybody's fault. Sometimes personalities just don't get on. There, there's times where, you know, they, they were four men. They probably didn't mm. quite understand that I was really sick um, and that I would have, you know, given more. And the reason I, I walked away is because I thought, I'm going to have a literal child. Um, I'm married to a surgeon who has a very demanding mm. career. Um, there's going to be times where I will need flexibility. You know, toddlers have chicken pox, toddlers mm. have this. What, what will I do? So we set up the project surgery and within a year we had 3,000 wow. patients. So we were <laughs> delighted. Um, and it was lovely being born out of the community's need um, and want. And that's been great, you know, 16 years later to remember where, where this practice Definitely. was born from. Um, and my little ones, um, then I had a, my daughter within, um, well, my, they're 11 months apart. So uh, if anybody wants any contraceptive advice, don't yeah. come to me. My friends used yeah. to laugh for years and years. Like, Do you really give contraceptive <laughs> advice? But um, but she came, it was a miracle. I won't say it was mm -hmm. planned, but um, she's gorgeous. And um, I had two little ones and I didn't know how I would manage being yeah. a mum and being a, a, a partner in a two partner practice. And I definitely wanted to pull my weight. I, I wasn't someone who thought, well, I'll just let the male mm. partner do it. Um, so I had, um, and I didn't want to put them in nursery. I didn't have any family around. Mm. My mum had passed away and uh, my mother-in-law was really quite sick at the time and sadly passed away soon after. And, um, so I thought a bit out of the box and I asked my partner, Peter, I said, how would you feel if we've got a little meeting room upstairs that we don't really use? Would I be able to bring my child mind mm. to here and just um, ha have them with me here? And he said, well, let's mm. give it a go. And that was so mm. nice, Ams, because I knew they were just up there while I did my surgery. But it had a really positive effect on the practice um, because nobody can be annoyed when there's a cute yes. kid around. <laughs> and uh, it's something that I have always understood. And I employ three part-time salaried GPs who are all women, who are all, um, uh, well, many of them have tiny yeah. babies, actually. Uh, and one is on maternity leave at the moment. And... While they have childcare arrangements, if they have a day when, you know, little one's sick and they can't take him to nursery, um, I'll just say, it's fine, you know, bring them in. We we'll, we'll manage because it's good for me as an mm, employer. Yeah. I get my patient seen. It's good for mummy because she's actually not having to constantly have that guilt of is my little one mm. all right? She's still managing to work as a doctor. And it's really great for my team of 10 because no matter how bad things are, when you've got a cute yeah. little one who wants to sit on your lap for a bit it's lovely so um just uh, my receptionist brought her baby in 11 months old on on friday uh, thursday and uh, we, we just see the smiles on our faces and, and and i think the nhs needs to think about this a little bit more widely um about how we make it more flexible for women with young children because the stats are sadly that gp female GPs who are in their mid-30s, three out of 10 of them are not working at wow. all. So we're training these women and then we're saying, because the system is so inflexible, we can't have your talent at all. And that has to Definitely. be wrong. And it kind of brings on Farzana and a lot of people kind of reach out saying, 
especially the Asian demographic where family is such a big thing for them, it's can females have a medical career, a high flying career like yourself, who is a co-chair, a GP principal, while also maintaining motherhood, having children? What advice would you give to those individuals or any reassurance you can give to them? Mm. I think you're probably better suited than us. So, so that's a really good question. So I think I would say be clear about what your goals are and look at what your resources are. So I knew that I didn't have any extended family to help me. I knew that my husband was not in a position to help me with his very uh, unpredictable hours in theatre and everything. So for me to say to him, can you do a school mm. pickup? It, it's not, it wasn't possible because he doesn't know when his theatre case will finish. So I didn't have that support. And I... I also knew myself that I, I didn't want to employ a nanny. Many people have, I wanted to bring my mm. kids up myself. I think that was a very personal choice, maybe because my mum was mm. a stay-at-home mum. So that was what mm. I was used to. Um, I also knew that I very much enjoyed general practice and, and I wanted to do that. I made an active choice, Ams, not to take a, a position outside the practice while my children were young. So this national role I've only been doing since April, and that's because my children are, are 16 and, and 17. Um, so one thing I would say to mums is, um, and I did it, don't compare yourself to anybody else. So I used to compare myself to male colleagues and think, well, gosh, he's only 39 and he's mm. doing this. But actually, I, I had to have like a five, six year yeah. lag because because I'm looking after children. So so don't ever compare yourself with somebody else because you know what you're doing. The two things I would say is be clear about your goals. So I knew that I didn't want to um, take on a position um, outside the practice when children were small. I knew, for example, that I would never do uh, evening meetings. I, I was happy to do work in the day, but I would never do evening meetings while the children were small. So I had my sort of line in the sand. Um, I also knew that I was happy to work flexibly. So what I would do Amazon, when, um, as when they were younger is I would do my school pickup uh, at three o'clock, but then I would say, you know, all my paperwork and my prescriptions and things I'm going to do mm. from home I'm going to log back on it at six seven yeah. o'clock and I'm going to do that and that was my choice I decided that my working day would would be okay. different um so I think if you're prepared to work hard if you know what your goals are and um you you know are, and ask for help who will help you so I asked my GP partner can I bring my child minder in would that be right he said yes um so I think those are my three tips really and it's never to everybody has a time for somebody it's 47 for somebody it's 37 for somebody it's 57 never compare yourself with somebody else to say oh, look they're younger than me and they've done all this because we all have individual um so have you ever had a moment where um you've been overwhelmed by the various responsibilities that you have um and sort of how did you sort of resolve that yes. situation Yes, that's a really good question. When they were about two and three, so before they went to school and um, I was a partner, uh, I actually, I mean, I, I have very mild eczema. I don't even have it now. But when I'm very busy, my eczema flared and it was the, the worst uh, eczema I've ever had. I actually needed bandages. And it was purely because I was too busy. I wasn't like feeding mm. myself properly. I wasn't sleeping properly. I had to stop at that time and think actually, 
what do you want to do Fazana? what are you going to do i had a chat with my gp partner about you know am i going to manage this and again i would say reach out and talk to your friends and what he said was well rather than just give up completely do you actually want to drop one of your clinical sessions and we can get a look and when you're right in mm. the center of something sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees and i said to him i don't know if i can carry on being a partner i don't know i've got two under fives they're 11 months apart and it was just great to have somebody who was a supportive friend who could think, actually, you know what, she's catastrophizing a bit. All she needs is probably one more mm. session off. Let's take a bit of a pay cut. Let's pay for a locum. It was as easy as that. But I couldn't see that right in the middle of it. And I'm very, very protective of my female salary GPs because I see that sometimes with them. They can't see it. And I say, you know what? <laughs> I'll do your prescriptions. It's 10 yeah. prescriptions. You can go. And they're like, no, 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 it's my work because it's so professional. And I think, well, pay me back later. Sometimes all you need is a helping hand with someone to do something that's so tiny that it doesn't matter to them. You know, mine are 16 or 17. It doesn't matter to me if I do 10 mm -hmm. extra prescriptions. Um, so I would say reach out for help because people want to help you. And, and certainly as a young mom, I didn't want to reach out for that help. I felt like I had to be perfect and I needed to do it all uh, and actually you don't and the one thing I would say to my younger self is you know don't be so proud mm -hmm. for Zana just just you know should have reached out um and I would say to you know any young moms or young dads you know listening mm. into this um reach out because somebody will want to help you somebody wants to give your mm. baby a cuddle you know somebody wants to do those 10 prescriptions for you because as a GP employer as a partner they're doing a surgery mm. for me so you know I don't need to yeah. see those patients they're doing it Definitely so agree. yeah don't I don't give up as a medic in general being GP in surgery we're so we're kind of training like this is your role these are your tasks you have to complete it you can't leave until you do it and we feel very shy to some extent to kind of not handing over not asking for help and it's like i don't know it's like a superhero complex where like you feel like correct. you can do everything correct and and, and you see that in, in GPs and, and doctor sickness. Doctors are very, they, they have very low uh, yeah. sick days, very low compared other to um, other mm. professions in the in the NHS as well. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, the worst that can happen is someone will say, no, I mm. can't do it. But they might actually say, oh, no, I can't do it now. I might do it later. But, you know, it, there's no harm in, in asking Definitely. at all because we don't want everyone to burn out. I mean, I was fortunate I didn't burn out. But, yes, I did have those overwhelming days. Mm exams and it is very it you know it isn't i look back now and i think you know it, it's hard with an under five it's much harder you know teams are much easier does get easier definitely. definitely um which kind of brings me on and it's i'm glad i remembered so you were a partner quite early on and as a lot of people probably know or come to know being a gp partner or a gp principal it's not only about seeing patients you also do have to manage the the practice in a business sense as well correct me if i'm wrong Farzana. what how correct how, correct, how was that like what skills how, how, what skills did you have to learn so as a medic you know as a physician we're taught to yeah. look after people mm -hmm. we don't really care about the finances we're ordering investigations but all of a sudden you have to have this different type of hat how was that so i became a gp partner in 2001 and that was just the year before um there was a big um uh, a big move for lots and lots of salaried posts so a salaried post is you're employed a bit like being a hospital doctor you'll go and do your tasks your clinical work and and, and come back and being a partner is uh, basically i'm running my own business so just like i might be running a shop i have to think about employing my staff i need to think about making the 
business financially viable. I need to think about, I mean, I own my own premises. So, you know, if there's a water leak, that's me. Um, so it is like absolutely running your own business. And I know that a lot of GPs, particularly uh, female GPs, if we look currently at the stats, um, there are only um, four out of 10 partners that are female and six out of 10 partners that are male. And I do know that a lot of women GPs are a bit um, uh, unsure as to whether they can manage with the family and, you know, be a partner. One of the joys for me being a partner is that I've been able to, to, it is my own business, it is absolute ownership. And I love the fact that I can innovate. If I have an idea today, I can implement that by tomorrow. So one of the things that has caught quite a lot of national attention that I've done at the Project Surgery is in the midst of COVID, we found that our childhood immunization, so we, we are responsible in general practice for making sure that we give our children um, protection against things like measles, mumps, rubella, you know, lots of infectious mm. diseases. Parents were not bringing their kiddies in because they were scared they would yeah. get COVID during mm. lockdown. So our childhood immunization rate went right down like to, you know, only like one in four of our kids were coming in. Now, we know that there's something called herd immunity. If, if we don't immunize 92% of our kiddies, then every kiddie could get things and, and measles is making a, you know, a comeback. So I decided to do a drive through oh, clinic. Wow. So our babies get driven in by their parents and we give them the injection in the car. So rather than a 10 minute face-to-face consultation, that's two minutes. So we're, we're reducing that COVID transmission risk by, by a, to, to one fifth, mm. you know, two minutes compared to 10 minutes. Cause we do know that um, one in two people are asymptomatic. They don't have any mm. COVID symptoms. And um, so, you know, we, we might be spreading and Newham sadly had the highest death rate of COVID in the country. Um, so doing something like that, that's something that a partner can do. I mean, a, a salaried could suggest mm. it, but because it's my business, it's my playground, yeah. I thought about that on a Monday evening. It was implemented by Tuesday wow. and, and NHS England seemed to have quite liked it. And now, uh, you know, that we're thinking about delivering our flu vaccination yeah, campaign no this year. And, you know, I was so chuffed to get my <laughs> after ranking my little moment of fame again. I mean, Newsnight interviewed me about this drive through clinic, uh, ITV, BBC News interviewed us. So sometimes you can have an idea mm. and actually it, you can implement that idea. And, and then you see that that spreads to the country. So I would say to anybody, don't worry. I know medical school doesn't teach you. Nobody taught me, but a lot of this is a bit like learning on the job. And I learned with my senior partner. It's not rocket science. People can run little corner mm. shops. People can, you know, run other businesses, can run beauty businesses. Remember that anybody who's listening in here who's a medical student or, or a doctor, you know, you're academically really intelligent or else you wouldn't mm. have got mm. into medical school. It does require academic intelligence. You can run a business. It's not hard. You know, you're good problem solvers. You think about making decisions on a, on a hoof in your clinical role is just transferring it to a management role. It's not for everybody, but I think if it's fear holding you back, don't. I absolutely love being a partner. I'd love to see more female partners. I can't think of doing anything Definitely. else. I was going to say, Fazana, so you work in Newham and Newham is, you know, it's known to be a very deprived borough, if not one of the most deprived borough in London. How is practicing as a GP in Newham compared to, I don't know, being a GP in Kensington or Chelsea in Westminster, what challenges do you face yeah. in that demographic? What yeah. do we have? 
Yeah. So we, we, we were a couple of years ago, you're right, we were the second um, most deprived borough in London, but now we've moved up to the dizzy heights of 22nd. So we, we, we've yeah. done well. But that's actually because we had the Olympics in 2012. Mm-hmm. And Newham is an interesting place because we've got a pocket of, you know, a, a, a very wealthy area in the Olympic Village. And um, I'm in Stratford a few miles away, but, you know, I've got a lovely mm-hmm. flat. Mm-hmm. I live in Newham. But then when I walk into Plasto, which is only to uh, a mile um uh, when i walk into work it's completely deprived and covid sadly has shone a light on more of these health inequalities there is a reason that we have had the highest covid death rates um we've got um the most um furloughed workers we've got fifty thousand people who have been furloughed many of them will lose their jobs uh we've got the a high level of casual workers so all of this makes a difference so when i sit in my consulting room and i'm speaking to a mum whose child has got asthma and actually i know that the house is damp and that you know mum can't actually afford food um, and prescriptions all of these wider determinants of health have a real impact and one of the reasons I'm so chuffed to have made it out of my consulting room and in a national role is yes, it's lovely, but actually to be able to make that impact and to champion the cause for all those people who are not getting equitable care, they are not getting the same care as someone who is you know, living in a leafy area. And that is incorrect. The definition of health inequalities is this is avoidable mm. inequality. Every single person in England has the same right to health care, has the same right to housing. And I, I believe passionately that we should not be discriminating against somebody because mm. they're poor. So it's been um it, it it has become a personal passion for the girl who saw the graffiti <laughs> on the train at the age of 21 and 23 and didn't want to come to newham and it is so meaningful for me my patients are really grateful you mm. know by and large we, we you know we don't get many complaints um but it but it's tough because we get a lot of churn so people will come to newham from other countries and then they will sort of move out of newham as the time goes on so we are um struggling with you know very high rates of diabetes you know it's hard to look after your diabetes if you don't know whether you're going to eat yeah. tomorrow mm. I, I this true story i have a patient who is homeless who who lives on chicken and chips because he hasn't got facilities to cook he sofa surfs with mm. his friends um and he's a chap who was a journalist in algeria and for political yeah. problems wow. had to leave you know he's not somebody who has you know never wanted yeah. to work he 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 had um you know a high level job in algeria and now he's homeless and he says to me yeah doctor i feel ashamed asking my friends to cook for me as well it's hard enough that they're giving me their sofa so he buys chicken and chips because it's a, mm. it's a pound and then his sugars are all over the place so how do i help him with that, you know, it's not good enough for me just to say, eat healthier. He hasn't got a, a way to eat healthier. So I'm hoping we'll be able to really look into these sort of things as, as a society and, and, and you know, in my in yeah. my other role. In terms of the, the workload that comes through sort of general practice now, you can imagine, te- I can imagine 10 minute appointments with such a large population with in such a sort of poor area. How do you deal with that as a as a general practitioner and as a practice? Mm. 
So, so our demand rate is much higher. Um, it is correct that, you know, they used to say a, a quote the RCGP used to do was, you know, it's like six and a half consultations per year, the average person makes. Um, but, you know, in a deprived area, it mm. is higher. Um, so I'm really excited about um, these primary care networks that um, uh, are just a year old. And I'm, I'm clinical director for the largest PCN in Newham. We mm. have 10. And um, one of the great things, and this is a great thing the NHS has done, it's been the, the the something called the long-term plan NHS policy came out in January 2019 and I think it's been the most exciting time uh, in general practice for me in nearly two decades because we know we haven't got enough GPs and for the first time ever we've got these additional roles um, like a link worker who is not clinical but can help with some of the the aspects I was talking about those social yeah, determinants yeah. of health we've got pharmacists we've got uh, occupational therapists mental health practitioners and these are all 100% funded. So general practice is getting these new roles in for free, like mm. paramedic. And I think that will definitely help with uh, the workload. And it's a gift from mm. the NHS, you know, from the Treasury to us, recognising that actually the workload is yeah. very high and that we cannot just have, um, there aren't enough GPs in the country, but with the skill mix and a great multidisciplinary team, you know, we, we'll do it. Uh, we'll probably do it better than Fazana as a GP would because I don't know the ins and outs of housing, whereas my, my link mm. worker might. So it's great to see some positive change. And, and that's what spurred me to be a clinical director. And it's because I was so interested mm. in these primary care networks that um, I got uh, the yeah. national role representing primary care networks uh, across the country. Yeah, so very exciting Brilliant. time. Um in in terms of now you as a person, so obviously you're doing all of these projects, bringing in change, innovating. What, how do you now unwind? How do you also sort of get away from work and look after yes. your own, say, mental health and look after your own sort of life outside yes. of medicine? Really, really good question. So so having two teenagers is always grounding. <laughs> so uh, when I when I got my picture on um, the, um, I found out about ranking and I remember saying to my daughter, you know, I, I've got my picture. I'm going to be celebrating my 72nd birthday. She said, oh, she looked decidedly nonplussed and said, <laughs> But can I go with my friend Ruby to Westfield tomorrow? Can I go shopping? <laughs> and it's really nice to have that because seeing what, what their lives are. And then I told my son and he said, can you not bother me because oh I'm just God. playing FIFA at the moment and I'm going to not score. So so that's very grounding. Um, I like... Um, I, I, I like, um, I, I was saying, you know, I've always enjoyed languages and things. So um, there's a few things I like. So if I'm feeling a bit, um, you know, busy and overwhelmed, like uh, we've got, we're the East End of London, but, you know, Whitechapel Art mm. Gallery is just three stops away from me. I like to just walk around and see pictures sometimes. Um, my favourite poet is a Rumi. He's actually a, a 16th century Muslim mm. poet. And he, he writes about, um, he, he writes about divine love, mm. really, but it's such romantic mm. poetry um from you know from a from a, a man from you know 600 years ago it's that uh, beautiful so i like that and, and and i think my um i think my spirituality keeps me a, a bit grounded so um i I personally find um, that, um, you know, it, it, when, I, when I pray, like, it, it's just my time to talk to somebody who's, um, you know, my creator. So I personally find that really grounding and useful. No matter what happens, you know, I've got, I've got a safety. So I find that personally really helpful. And the other thing, Ams, is seeing people. So when I walk shopping in Stratford in East London, mm -hmm. where I live, 
there's three or four homeless people sitting out there and I just think to myself how lucky are you Fazana I've got a lovely flat I've got you know food whatever food I want I can eat and I think that keeps me grounded when I think okay you've had a busy day well yes I've had a busy day but actually I'm, I'm you know I earn well I've got lovely kids I've got my health so I think those sort of things keep me grounded to know how yeah. lucky I am where there are people literally under half mm. a mile from me who are homeless awesome definitely um in terms of now passing on some advice to our younger junior doctors medical students aspiring medics um, i would say even particularly the females who are worried about how do you balance such demanding roles as a director as a partner um of and and, and be a mm. gp at the same time seeing patients within 10 minutes um how, what advice would you give in terms of how to attain all of those posts, how to look after your own mental health, how to balance life and work? What sort of advice would you give? Yeah. So I think my one piece of advice would be sit down with yourself and be clear about what you want. Don't feel that you have to be somebody else's um, you know, version if you feel that actually you want to take two years out and you want to be with your baby and that's what you want to do that's absolutely fine there are retain the schemes you can come back it's absolutely fine if you feel that actually your baby winds you up and actually while everybody else thinks your baby's great you just don't enjoy being with your baby that much and you really miss you know being away that's mm. fine. There are great child-minded, great nurses, nurseries around, you know, great nannies around. Do what you feel you're comfortable with. I made an active choice that I wanted to be a really hands-on mum. I wanted to do that. I just wanted the child-minder for the three hours mm. and three hours I did clinic. Um, and I made an active choice that I wanted to be a GP partner. I wasn't single-handed then. I had a partner with me. I've only been single-handed since he, he died seven years ago. So, um, I'd say just be really clear, try it, and you can't fail. If you try it and it's not working for you, do mm. something else. I, I sat on a GP federation, which is like um, uh, sort of an amalgamation of all the practices. I did that job for four years, and then I realized it really wasn't mm. for me. And I walked away and I didn't think of that as a failure because I yeah. had tried it and, and I'd learned something and it wasn't right. So anybody, male, female, listening to this, try it. You may want to go into neurosurgery and then think, I'm not really enjoying mm. this. It's okay. You can do something else. You can't fail. We live one life. Yeah. We don't live two lives. It's not a rehearsal. Do what you feel, but be clear be passionate and remember we talk about glass ceilings as human beings but actually if you look up the seven heavens there mm -hmm. is no limit you can do what well, you want so so refreshing to hear that because i think we're under so much pressure with social media and just generally in society to sort of not accept failure if we if anyone sees us failing at something it would just be the end of the world for us so it's it's so refreshing to hear that and i think that's such great advice to just take life take life by the scruff of its neck thank you so thank much you. for that no i think i have to agree as in we're so in the mindset that whatever we do we need to do it really well and never give up and walking away from it or admitting to ourselves do you know what hey i don't really enjoy this i want to do something else we should kind of not see it as defeat 
and failure, but rather we tried something, we didn't like it, we're going to move on to the next. And it's refreshing to see someone a lot senior, a lot more experienced than us um, kind of echo the same things. So we are grateful um, for you mentioning that. Rosanna, uh, we are conscious of time. Um, we're glad you've, you, from your many roles, you've taken time out. Yeah. Um, so it's been a massive pleasure. Um, I have to admit, you shared a lot of stuff that I didn't realize you would share. And it's been really insightful. Um, and I couldn't be even more proud yeah. for, the, for the stuff you are doing, not only for the community, for females, for the BAME community, for GPs in general. Um, Thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure. It's been been really lovely. And um, yeah, and as you say, you know, I'm a Twitter yeah, yeah. addict. Um, it, my, my handle is at FHussein73, at F-H-U-S-S-A-I-N 73. I always love Definitely. making friends on Twitter. So we will share once the episode comes we will share with with all our listeners your twitter handles um how they can get in touch with you and i'm sure we'll we'll, we'll tag you and everything in between so it, it'll be great and I'm, I'm sure lots of people will pick your brain soon asking for lots of advice yeah no that's fine thank you it's been an absolute pleasure no, thank, thank you, you. All for listening. bye